Especially in the middle of a personal pan pizza. <laughs> right? We are all in a personal pan pizza. <laughs> managed to get a little a bit tipsy. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Anna. Oh, that was, I don't know. My depth perception was off when I cheers and it was. Are you still rocking the, uh, the test contacts? No. The, yeah. Actually, these are my last pair of the, of the test contacts. Um, that was, that was a big adventure for me. What a day. It's been a warm week. Yeah. Nice and San Diego-y. Finally. <laughs> yeah, I know. I still February. Yeah, I you know I I felt it's it's been cooler than we're used to, right? It it had been, yeah. But I, I don't... felt, of course, you know, I felt bad complaining about the weather, of course, at all right. here because it's been disastrous in other parts of the country. Yeah. So my my baby bro was talking about some polar vortex shit. When I called him for his birthday. Is that the flavor of Gatorade that's in our drink right now? Polar Vortex. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, there was a whole thing about, you know, weather, weather pattern or Gatorade flavor. Yeah. I'm with that. Sometimes it's just teal, you know? You're like, <laughs> what flavor is this? I have no idea. It's just teal. I'm sure that's a weather thing, too, like a teal. Yeah. What does teal, that swirl pattern teal mean? Blast. I don't know. It's Arctic, just teal. teal Arctic blast. Yeah. Oh, Arctic. Speaking of, uh, new life has been discovered very far down on Antarctica. Really? I don't know. I think my reaction was something like, do you want the thing? Because that's how you get the thing. Oh, like from the, the <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. Isn't, uh, I mean, not to spoil anything, but isn't that kind of what happens in the X-Files movie? And aren't they down there? Um, I have not seen it. Oh, well, that's going on our list. I've seen no, the show. It's not, it's not good. It shouldn't. Yeah. I've seen plenty of the show. I just was like, I have no need to watch a full movie of this. Well, it's basically, yeah, like an extended episode, I guess, because it it's not like a parallel. It's not like a different storyline. It stays line. in the storyline, like, right? Yeah. Which is aliens. Right. Uh, but there's some, you know, some major phenomena and events they're looking into i if i remember correctly occur in in antarctica i appreciate the way you enunciated that well i try to pronounce that correctly antarctica um it's weird talking about antarctica when i smell like sunscreen (laughs) because it's been so warm because mm. I could just like still smell the sunscreen on me. You know that nice, that nice summery smell. Yep. Yeah. That sunscreen. Do you like? Do you like the coconutty sunscreen or just the regular? Just like the regular, yeah. like as little of a scent as possible. Because I am tropic. allergic to a lot of things. Mm. So just to be safe, I like the you know like the copper tone in the spray bottle. That one. It reminds me of uh, of swimming. My first experience, like taking swimming lessons, which is a little bit of a traumatic experience for me. I mean, nothing bad happened. I was just terrified of the water, and I didn't 
I didn't want to do swimming lessons. I was as all a kid. about being in the pool. I was down. I got over it. I think I think it took one of my friends in elementary school uh, having a pool, and that was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. Yeah. Um, but I um, I don't know. It's also probably separation anxiety too, like from my parents, like because that's Aww. a that's a helpless feeling to be in the pool but then when your parents aren't there because you know they take me to one of those like city parks because yeah, that's those are your protectors swim swim program thing and uh, you know i'm sure i'm sure she was a lovely instructor um but no i was not having it did not want to do there and you know kick my feet and the you know the, that's one of the first things they teach you is they do little yeah feet kickies yeah little froggies yeah <laughs> um my godmom is the one who taught me how to swim, my godmother. And um, I have some pretty good memories from that. She was never like one of those that's like, I'm just going to let you go and see how you do. Like she she stood by me the whole time because she knew how scary it was to learn. So I felt really safe and protected until I learned. And then I became a mermaid in my own mind. <laughs> you always hear about those people that just um not just like throw their infants in the water yeah what's up with that they're just like oh that's instinctual they'll they'll learn you got to do it when they're young enough uh-uh. uh, <laughs> i'm like my I, my friend took her baby yeah. to swimming lessons and the baby did great but she didn't let go of her yeah no that, that's and i've seen like parts of do, not an entire documentary on it but parts of documentaries about how babies just naturally take to the water maybe because it's womb like i guess but then once you i, I don't know if they like age out of being able to do that <laughs> because uh, there's some point what's the dividing line here I, I was not <laughs> at home in in the you know in the aquatic uh, i can see you just making all these like splashy mess like <laughs> what is going on that's the because i think early on the you know, when you get water up your nose. Oh, yeah. Like that that's was, brutal. That's the worst feeling. And just yeah. like, this is it not burns. fun at all. I hate this. And the chlorine. Why are you trying to kill me, parents? Yep. Yeah. Uh, not to time. mention like the childhood body image issues and all that stuff that I had. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. were plenty. I mean, I wore a lot of T-shirts in pools. Same. Even when I got used to it and swimming around friends, I... Yeah. I um, as as I put on some more weight and layers, uh, I, I also put on more fabric. Yeah. No, I don't give a shit. But no, I, yeah, I don't either. I my main thing right now is like, I mean, if if I were to, go, I don't think we've been swimming in a while, but um, if I were to go in a pool or like a hot tub or something like that, I've just more insecure about like how white my legs are. Mm. Cause they, I mean, it is clearly the ghost ghostiest looking part of me because the rest of my body's exposed to sun on a regular basis. My mm. legs are just like stark iridescent. That's, that's a lot of people. I mean, I know, we're all different. but you know, Jeez. it's, I know, I we all have our own insecurities. It's, that's one of mine. Um, well, uh, I'm sure we could spend a whole episode talking about insecurities. <laughs> I bet we could, honestly. Tra traumatic events from our childhood. But instead uh, of that, 
but I we have am, an amazing guest. Yes, we're super excited about our guest this week, so we don't want to get too bogged down. It's going to run a little bit longer than some of ours, mm-hmm. but I promise you it is worth it. Yeah, and then just real quick before we go into that, let me explain the drink that I made this week. Oh, yes. Um, our guest is, you may have heard of him before, Dr. TJ Talley, our friend... Um, previously that had a blue mohawk that i talked about like a lot um jeopardy champion yeah dr tj we do talk about that um so i specifically made a drink tailored for tj and that was a peach and rosemary infused gin which was the main like spirit portion of the drink with fresh lemon juice and then i made an uh a Formosa oolong tea and brown sugar erythritol simple syrup to go in that. And it was lovely. So watch the video on that. Yes. If you um, get a chance. Um, yes. Make sure the videos are posted on our social media pages as yep. well as our YouTube channel. And uh, I've been adding the link to the YouTube video on the uh, drinks wall uh, on our website. So there's plenty of places where you can learn how to make that lovely. There should be no questions as to where you can find it. <laughs> yes. All right. So with that, I suppose we can. Yeah. Carry on with it. Let's let's talk to TJ. Let's do it. You also you're you look so adorable, and your house looks so adorable. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Chris, like the mini Christmas tree was here. So when we nice. had guests for like that couple months, it was really cute for yeah. them to see that. Also, you can see like, literally this is the view that my students see every fucking day. That's perfect. That's nice. So it's like, there's a, there's a storm X-Men poster. There's some, there's some plants. There's yeah. a Nintendo underneath one of the plants. It's- I love that. That's a, an authentic, but like I, I believe and I know that that is just what your space looks like because <laughs> you see you know like you see on tv during these it's like so fancy yeah yeah they're yeah, all coordinated just... I'm like there's you're gonna get this there's some plants there's <laughs> over a bottle of lotion it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um I did I was delighted the one day that you posted your bedroom for like the little Easter eggs that we found. I was really hoping that people would picture. actually look at it. Cause I was like, I don't give a fuck. And I, hope <laughs> it was there. Yeah. and it was great. Cause then the, like only one, nobody like mentioned it outright, but I was like, yes, that is on my, that is on my bedside table. And if you're looking for it, you will find it. Yeah. Um, so let's do a little clinkies. Yes. Yeah. You can use your two glasses to make a noise. Will. <laughs> Cheers. 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 This is our friend, Dr. TJ Talley, joining us finally. We've wanted to have him on with us for so long now. Yes. So this is our very our special first day opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yeah, and I, I didn't even realize when I put the date in for you that it's um, Black History Month as well. Mm-hmm. That we have that few Black friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's fine. I get a whole month and I feel very fancy about mm-hmm. it. Um. <laughs> well... All the work that you do, you definitely deserve a month uh, and then some. Yes. <laughs> Please tell my bosses that, that I yeah. get a whole nother extra month just for lounging around and drinking but, these delicious cocktails. By the way, this this rosemary one is on point. 
Thank you. Smiles and dreams. I'm not mad at it. (laughs) So um, just for our listeners, I did something a little different this time around for the very, very first time. I actually delivered the feature cocktail to our guest so that they could enjoy with us. So, um, So TJ's drinking the same thing that we're drinking, which is that peach, rosemary, gin, and tea infusion. So good. It really does, does taste like, it tastes like afternoon, right? It tastes, yeah. like, <laughs> it, it tastes like low level sunlight, not <laughs> like, and it tastes like, okay, maybe I don't have to do anything else this evening. Like that's what, that's what this, this beverage tastes like. Yeah. yeah. Get a break. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't, well, I followed my measurements when I made the video for it. And today I just kind of threw everything together And, um, I actually like it better today. I think maybe you made it organically with sass and love. That's the Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. That's how I make everything. That's that's what I should. That's how I feel when I bake. Right. Is that I like the first, like five, 10 times I make a recipe. I'm like super fastidious about it. Like it's some sort of like science project. And then I'm like, okay, that's enough. I know it works here. This seems a little (laughs) little dry. I'm like, now I just make like this focaccia bread in my sleep. I'm just like, all right. It's three and a half cups of flour. It's a tablespoon of yeast. It's throwing some oil and about like 450 milliliters of water and stir it up and let it sit for seven hours. And I was like, I can do that on autopilot. Like, and then I sometimes I'm like, it seems too dry. More water. <laughs> you just metric systemed. I'm oh, so... I did, didn't I? Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> I did a weird mix of the two. This is the most bisexual measurement ever. Why pick a style? Um, <laughs> Like, yeah, what's a I milliliter? Do. I'm sitting, um, I'm sitting very bisexually right now. I'm crisscross yes. applesauce on the couch with my dress. I love it so much. Also, that dress is super cute. Thank you. I appreciate. Uh, like my post yesterday, it was on sale for eight dollars, and here's a story about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did that. I was like, time. I was like, I was like, that's the right thing. It's like the challenge is to have someone compliment you on your outfit without explaining or giving them a story about it. And I was like, that's <laughs> yeah, it is impossible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, can't, so... I just, yeah. What's up? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is delightful to see your face mm-hmm. and the whole <laughs> thing too. Cause last time I saw you had a mask on. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. We played when you dropped it off. I was wearing, I was looking like a reverse Orville Peck because I had like a full mask, but all of this like fringe at the bottom. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then later I went for a walk um, and I double masked because I went for a walk around Old Town. And so then I had like the N95 and then I had this fringy mask and I went for a walk and I was like, and I, I got out of my car when I got back here and I just like peeled it off and it was like taking off my face. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I feel that way too. after a shift too. Like right? I bet you Star do. Wars, where he finally takes off his mask. And there's just that weird, like, mechanical detaching from flesh sound. <laughs> it's like a yes, <laughs> we are all we are all Darth Vader in a terrible moment. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and especially because like I don't go out that much, right? And like since all of my teaching is remote, right? Mm-hmm. I only, as I told you earlier, once a week go into my office just since there's no students, there's no other population and I will record a video for work and I can get a book, but also so I can not spend all of my time in this exciting four-walled environment. Mm. But it does mean that like that mask time is still relatively less for me. So it means that like once a week, I'm usually wearing that double mask and I'm just like, okay, okay. 
I feel like uh, I'm like a really budget version of Face Off. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> what are we gonna do? So <laughs> little stamina for this yet. Most of the time I just live in my sassy home bubble. Yeah. Um, my friend and I were talking about um, how wearing the mask helps uh, hide your resting bitch face if you have that. Sure. And she does for sure have that. So she's like, it really helps me not to seem so angry all the time. <laughs> Cause she's not angry. She just, that's her face. Well, that's, it's great. Cause I have the exact opposite problem. I am, I did not evolve any of those mechanisms over time for when I am annoyed, tired or disengaged. Like, so I have like the exact opposite of resting bitch face, right? I have <laughs> more face, which is a problem. Because the less engaged that I am and the more I want it to end, the more my face signals interest, which is deeply cruel and un unasked for, right? But it's like, <laughs> so like if I get strangers to come up to me and start talking at me, I don't have a good shutdown face. I just, my eyes get a little bit wider and I like, it's like a weird natural mechanism where I'm just like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And then they just keep talking at me. So with the mask, at least it cuts out a little bit. It makes me look a little bit less interested. And so I think that helps, it helps a bit. <laughs> Because you don't want someone to come into your bubble. No, no. Because yeah. those people almost always don't even have it open over their nose. And I'm yeah. like, like this, go home, go home. Oh yeah. The last time I went to the grocery store, somebody had it below their nose in the self-checkout. And I was like, what is you doing, baby? I, I, I literally just said to somebody at the bank um, a week ago, I just went, nose. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at me and they were one. I was like, nose. And they were, <laughs> And the, and the woman else in line was like, your mask is not on your nose. And he was like, I just said it. And I was like, nose. <laughs> and apparently I only spoke one word that day and it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I haven't had the, uh, the guts to say anything to anybody yet. Fair. Other than when I'm in the position of authority of bartending. Right. right. So like at work, I'm like, no problem. Like you have to have a mask on to be in this building. Uh, even to go to the bathroom. Yes. Just to walk to the bathroom. Why? Nobody's here. Well, I'm here. Yeah. And I'm a person and I will. Yeah, and I am a human being. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that, but like, I feel like most of the time people are pretty good about it at my restaurant, but why do I get like some sick satisfaction from like scolding people? Was I meant to be a marm? Uh, I mean, first off, that would be delightful, but also it's like, it's one of the few ways you have control over this, right? We have mm -hmm. no control over almost every aspect of this, as I like to call it, the, the Panda Express, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the Panini. We, are, we have very little control over the Panini. And so one of the few ways in which we feel like we have control of the Panic at the Disco is that we can at least modify small amounts, right? Of these, we're like, Look, I can't control the fact that everything is a grotesque waking nightmare from which I cannot seem to escape and all the days bleed together like a terrible Dolly painting, but you can mm -hmm. fucking nose. Frank. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like one thing. One I, thing. You need to right. be a screenwriter. Because mm -hmm. I would watch everything that you wrote. <laughs> Just me and my panini, my panini thoughts in the middle yeah. of the Betty. Any, any P yeah. word will do. It really, after a while, you just, you start with a, you're like a Panama Canal. People are like, okay, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so this is exactly how I teach, right? So like my Zoom, it's like, I'm just like, all right, babies, I understand. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a professor of African history at 
at the University of San Diego. It's a sweet gig. I love what I get to do. It's our third semester uh, being um, over to the internet. And so every now and then I'm just like, let's just acknowledge that we are once again in um, a panopticon and we don't know what's going on, right? And so it's, it helps for us to be honest about this with them. And so I'm like, look, your paper is due Friday at 5 p.m. You do it five. I am not going to be looking for your paper at like 6 p.m. I'm not grading papers on Friday. I'm going to be drinking cocktails and feeling ashamed about my existence. So if Saturday morning rolls up and I see that your paper came in at like midnight, that's fine. We're all in a panic at the disco. Let's mm -hmm. let it live, right? Like, I just feel like we have to be honest, <laughs> right? But I'm like, but if it's like 48 hours into like after it was due and then you're like, can we get an extension? I'm like, mm -hmm. That is different. If you could like not That's like that. not showing yeah, up for I, work and being like, can you cover my shift? Yeah, right. and you're like, your shift was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> you don't work here anymore. Like, <laughs> that's a no call, no show. That's, the kitchen burned down. So I, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually used that analogy, right? I was like, you can't call, you can't call in sick or ask for someone to cover you 30 minutes into your shift. Right. right? Mm -hmm seven hours into like, I was like, don't, please don't ask for an extension up until the time. And I'll probably, yeah. I actually, I saw what you wrote to your students and I feel like that you did give them some grace. So yeah. Well, and what I did is I was like, there were students and I figure it's the first time we're a month into the term. Like, so the students, um, <laughs> some of them that asked for the, the extension, you know, even like seven, 15, 24 hours in, in after the due date, I was like, yeah, fine. Right. We are again, team Panini. Mm -hmm. We are all panicking at the disco. Right. Like I get it, but like, please don't do this again. Right. Like it just look at your life and say like, oh shit, everything is out of control. And just ask me beforehand. Yeah. Have some respect. Well, yeah. And also I was like, ultimately let me be vulnerable with all of you guys. I'm barely keeping it together. Just like mm -hmm. And so I need to have a system. And if you just start throwing all these things in here and I got to make all these exceptions, I will start crying in the corner and only listening to Celine Dion music. And nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> and it's like the falling into you era. So it's going to be like the Titanic oh. song. Like, <laughs> now. It's, it's a lot. Like the, the B side of the, the single of oh, the God. My Heart Will Go On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I will keep singing like there were nights of endless pleasure. It's not good. It's not good, guys. So they seem to be responding pretty well. I feel like what I'm trying to model for them is like both empathy and like vulnerability. I'm like, I'm barely keeping it together. And it is okay for you to barely be keeping it together. And you can be anxious about it and you can tell me and I'm not going to judge you. But I also still need you to, to do things. Mm -hmm. like, but like we can we can put a sliding scale on this. And it's hard because some of these students are contracting COVID, right? And I'm like, okay, like, and those are the ones where I have to be like, no, stop. It's more important that you get better. Mm -hmm. Like, they're like, can I come up with a plan? I was like, if you need the structure to feel like that, sure. But like, really, honestly, don't worry about it. The next, the next 10 days, next 15 days are about you being better. <laughs> like, we can worry about this class after that. So we can structure that. So I have like a, a spreadsheet of just how do I figure out that for other people, which is not a thing that if you told me when I thought I wanted to be a professor, how I'd be planning my life like 15 years later. Spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, I did this specifically not to have spreadsheets. Yeah. 
I thought it would be a dramatic life of flying places, drinking cocktails, and wearing caftans. And largely, <laughs> that's it. But I was like, you do all the things. I mean, like, there is absolutely, I was debating wearing this bright red caftan. I wish you had. Honestly, I was going to wear a cape for you today, but it was too hot. It's too hot. It's even too hot for this caftan. I was like, it's time for just this, you know, generic stripey shirt. I I love your purple stripey shirt. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like a a sort of like a a sassy mime. I'm like, that's right. Yeah, that is. (laughs) And then, I mean, you had on your really cute rainbow converse today, too. They were the gayest shoes I have ever owned, right? Like, well, I bought them last last June and I was like well think of all the prides I'm not going to (laughs) formal public declarations of queerness I would like my shoes in my house to be so gay that I even will be like can you tone it down a bit and uh, (laughs) yeah so Anna saw them they are they are bright purple converse with like a rainbow stripe around them I feel like the only way they could be gayer is if there was like house music as I walked, but you know, (laughs) the soles of the shoes too. You didn't see the soles are also rainbow just in case. Yeah. Somehow someone didn't catch that. It was like, (laughs) we're sneakers. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Obviously like listeners, we socially distanced. We didn't like hug or anything. We didn't take off our masks at all. We just, we were outdoors only. And uh, TJ gave me a tour of the garden, <laughs> which was lovely, except um, you have some issues with your artichokes. <laughs> that's, a, that's a normal sentence that people say to people, right? Like, yeah, you showed up. We were both bamassed. I'm taking her around. Back. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Anna, can you help me? Because I have an artichoke problem, which is the <laughs> thing that friends say to each other. And yeah, so sassy friends who are unaware and who have not during the panna cotta to grow artichokes um, in their, on their own. Let me tell you, first off, they're super fun, right? They look like almost like these sort of like demon ferns from dinosaur times. They just get these sort of big tenderly like leaves. They do. Took itself, grows like a Dr. Seuss, like, um, like sort of fist in there, just mm-hmm. on a little stalk. And then it's a giant, just artichoke on the end. It's like, whoop, surrounded by all of these like leaves. And you get like three or four of these huh. stalks. And what we know is artichokes are actually just like closed flower buds, right? We eat them before the flower opens. And so if you wait, cause I can only eat so many artichokes. I could steam them. I could put some other thing. I was like, I made a spinach artichoke dip. I was like, okay. I was, and then they kept making more artichokes. And I was like, dial it the fuck back artichokes. And I, <laughs> going. and I was like, fine. And it opens and it turns into this almost like a purple spiky kush ball. So it's like a flower, oh. all these little like tines and spikes that are purple and it's glorious and so I took a few more of those and made like centerpieces for the nobody that was at my house right and I was like hello flowers I'm in a Dr. Seuss book and (laughs) and a few and there were still too many right and so at this point the bees start loving them so I've got bees all around this flying koosh ball and then the the tines flatten and it basically turns into a demonic uh like daffodil head right it just is all full of like poofy seed pods a dandelion yeah that's it like did i say daffodil what are words yes exactly. <laughs> you're right um let's well, wear a panna cotta um, so yeah it's so this this the uh, this dandelion and so the problem is that it blows erwer right and so it's not a super big like little backyard it's it's basically some ostentatious dirt around our clothesline that i've managed to manhandle into some growing space 
And so it, you know, it, it shoots this little seedy fun time parachutes everywhere. And you think you gather up most of them and then it rains in February. And suddenly you get all these little seedlings. And I was like, oh, these look fun. And then I was like, oh no, oh no. They will all be artichokes. And so mm. if I don't get my life right, I'm gonna walk out in like April and it's gonna be like feed me Seymour from yeah. It's <laughs> just like gonna a, be it's no good, right? Little guppies of like, horticulture, yeah. horticulture yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, it's no good. It'll be all of it. So I was like, so Anna was not only a delightful from <laughs> beverages, but then it helped me outside. I was like, can you pick that one? Thanks. Can you grab that one? I picked well, some of those. She yeah. she mentioned she described it a little bit, and I just had this. It, it's funny that you brought brought that up because I'm like, he just lives in a world of whimsy and wonderment. Really That's amazing. Do. I really do. It's And it's gotten worse, right? Like imagine if like Mary Poppins was stuck during Zoom, right? She just like, <laughs> gets increasingly whimsical. And so, I mean, I own now 11 caftans. I owned one caftan before this. I'm like, what are pants, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I got into jumpsuits. As you should, my. Yeah. I also now own a jumpsuit. Thanks, thanks pandemic. Right, like, <laughs> yeah. I have I quite never, a few of them. Right. Well, and also, you had always been a hair inspiration because I'd never dyed my hair. I'd never bleached it, and suddenly I was like, "What am I waiting for? Marriage?" Right. So I was like, "Let me." Just, like, it's it's again, it's 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 a Panda Express. I might as well do this, right? And so that's why I went through like every color of the rainbow while wearing my caftans, and then washing them by hand in a bucket and then putting them out on the clothesline, which like my neighbors are suddenly like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Just hanging a bunch of masks and caftans on the clothesline. Don't make it weird, it's fine. I, I can confirm this. I saw masks and caftans hanging <laughs> from the clothesline today. <laughs> like a bright pink caftan outside. And I was just like, you know, it's how we live our lives these days. It's fine. Yep. <laughs> um, speaking of one of your more fun and wild hair colors, you did appear on national television with a blue mohawk. Yes, I did. Very famous. Did. Very so famous. it's so weird to be um, budget famous, which is the only kind of famous I want, right? Like yeah. just famous enough to like make a little trip in there, not famous enough that people want to know about anything really sort of scandalous about me. But yeah, no, no paparazzi. <laughs> no, no, please, no. Unless it's the Lady Gaga song, maybe then. But <laughs> yeah, in general, so what? Uh, and Andy referring to it, is that I, in March, during the first few weeks of, um, you know, the pandulce, I was sort of sitting around trying to figure out what to do with my life. And um, I was like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just audition for Jeopardy. <laughs> let's just do, uh, let's just, you know, try it. You know, you're a dork. You can do this. You're a professor. And so I submitted an application. You answer a series of quiz questions. And they got back to me within like 10 days. And they were like, hey, hop on this Zoom, we're looking for contestants for the fall. And I was like, what? And so then I went through, a whole, like, had me do a bunch of another quiz and quiz questions and then interview. And then they had me do another set in April. And they're like, cool, we're adding you to the contestant pool. And I was like, well, that's weird. And they're like, we'll let, we'll let you know sometime in the next, you know, anytime in the next 12 months. And I was like, well, that was fun. That's never gonna happen, right? And so then I was like, screw it. I'm gonna bleach my hair, I'm gonna dye it red. And then I'm a dot of blue and a dot of And at one point I was like, it's blue. And then I was like, let's do a mohawk. And literally 24 hours after I cut the mohawk and I had this blue hair, um, the Jeopardy studio called me and they're like, hi. So um, would you like to be on Jeopardy? And I was like, yes, yes, I would. But I'm not a grown up. 
so uh, yeah, so that is how in September I ended up filming, driving up to LA and filming with the late Alex Trebek, who was hilarious, delightful. And my personal favorite moment um, was when he hit on me. And I'm excited to talk about that because it's one of my favorite things that happened. Uh, but yeah, I got to national television um, for two days in a row because I won an episode um, with the bright blue mohawk uh, answering questions. So it's great. It was super bright. Um, did, did you say he hit on you? Yeah, I'm a, I was like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're not glazing over that. Right, right. Not only were we in, yeah, not only were we in this panini, but I also, in this, I got hit on by Alex Trebek. So Alex Trebek, 80 years old, still looking very good. Well done. So here's a fun fact. When you get, when you get there for Jeopardy, they film five episodes in one day, right? So they're going to wow. film Monday through Friday episodes. And so they'll film them largely back to back. They'll take a lunch break in between episodes three and four. Um, and so you have five minutes in between each episode. So what happens is the two people who have lost, you know, go off. Um, but the one who wins then has like four and a half minutes to run back to the green room. Um, and this case, because of COVID um, restrictions, the green room was on the next set, which was the Wheel of Fortune set. So oh. I had to change clothes into another set of dress clothes next to the Wheel of Fortune wheel, which was chained up with a sign that said, you cannot touch. <laughs> Damn it. Much smaller in person. Come on. Um, yeah, I was like, they saw me very well because I was like, I want to spin it. Um, <laughs> I'm like changing clothes, like frantically. I'm changing into like a new button down and a bow tie and a sweater. And it's an older sweater I haven't worn in a while. And so I get back on the lights on the set and this sweater has lint on it. Like a, oh, like no. a black sweater. There's a little bit of white, like dusty lint. And so they hand me a lint brush, a lint roller, because nobody can touch me because La Roña, right? They're yeah. like, so everyone else has masks I'm now on stage with no mask because we're filming and so they're like lint brush yourself so I'm lint rolling myself and as I'm continuing to lint roll the lint is of course above both of my nipples right repeatedly and I'm just like of course it is so I'm like increasingly lint rolling above each nipple <laughs> on the stage next to the other two contestants and across from Alex Trebek who is looking at me and I'm just like and I now embarrassedly look up at him as I am circling my right nipple to which Alex Trebek looks me dead in the eye and says, you keep that up and you're going to turn me on. And I like pause in mid lint roll. And I, <laughs> and I just stop. And I just say, live in the dream, Alex. <laughs> but I just kept rolling over my right nipple. And I was like, I feel like this is all that I needed in life. I feel like I... <laughs> Check. It's fine. So, and he gave me like this little like half smile, like you can say this and no one will ever believe you. And I was like, God damn it, Alex Trebek. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like called my boyfriend afterwards and I explained it. And he was like, Yeah, he could get it. And I was like, I'm, Oh, <laughs> correct. Is he like, yes. So, what a charm, spicy gentleman. Not bad. <laughs> That's wonderful. And the fact that I hadn't yet heard that story means right. that now this is between you and us and our listeners. <laughs> Welcome listeners. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And Alex, Alex, I mean, again, it was like weirdly then six weeks later he passed and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a moment. What a dream. Did that happen? Oh. I drunk on the show. I don't know. Like it's so I just, it's such a beautiful thing that I get to hold with me and I'm like, wow. So yeah, I got hit on by Alex Trebek by a spicy 80-year-old French-Canadian on a television set in the middle of the Panic at the Disco. So it's been a pretty good three time. <laughs> I, 
I also have to say I admire your restraint in not trying to spin the Wheel of Fortune wheel because yeah. I would not have been able to not do that. It was very hard because it was like, it was right there. It was very clearly chained because they were like, sir, we trust none of you. But yeah. I just like, I was like, I want to touch it. <laughs> I did not touch it. My fingers were like so close. It is very small. Just slightly without reading. The wheel is yeah, small? It's also very small because you have to think about it. They, the camera is right over it and it takes up half the screen. So we assume it's like gigantinormous. Mm-hmm. Huh? So maybe like six feet around max. Wow. Oh. That's some yeah. like Michelle Gondry shit, like working with yeah. perspective. Force perspective. Absolutely. <laughs> so well done with the force perspective. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Where it's like, because it takes up half the screen. You're like, this must be the size of Phoenix. It is not. It's the size of aggressive pizza. Like we are just spinning an aggressive pizza of fortune. <laughs> like the like the New York style, like the big giant New yeah, York pizza. Just, like, just, just a slightly saucy aggressive pizza, but one that can make you go bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it, was such a, it was such a weird moment. Cause I was like, so that happened, right? And I like drove up the night before cause my mom lives in LA and I'm from LA. So I spent the night with my, my mom's. And then, and of course I had to get COVID tested the week before and the week after. Um, but then I, I drove to the studio and it was like, and then I was there from like 8 a.m. to like 4 p.m. And then I got in a car and I drove back down to San Diego and I was like, huh, <laughs> <laughs> did that just happen? Like, it was like, what? And then it was like, cool, cool, cool. So you have 10 weeks, be silent. Be silent for 10 weeks and no one can know. Uh, Knowing you though, that must have been the hardest thing. (laughs) As he sips. (laughs) Did you tell Helen? I did. I told my boyfriend, I told my mom. Okay. Well, of course your mom knew. Yeah, well, my mom was like, you better tell me. No secrets from Teach Mom. And you also lived eight eight months in this uterus. And I was like, that's fair. Both of these are fair. Um, Yeah, I was premature. Um, so yeah, um, but yeah, no, so my mom was like, you better tell me. And I was like, yeah, um, but almost everybody else, no. And especially, I didn't tell people I even went on the show, right? I didn't tell people I taped. Right. And then when Alex Trebek died, all these people were like, oh man, that's so sad. You got so close to being on the show. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was like so many dreams. We all have dreams. The pandemic has taken all of our dreams. I I still like if there was any kind of petition for you to host, I would sign that motherfucker. Yeah. You know, I'm here for it. I would I would properly use a lint brush. It would be also great because <laughs> I would lint brush myself and be like, "This is for you, Alex." Right? And I would, I would just stand there and you know lint a little bit longer than usual. You know who's slated to guest host soon? No. Aaron Rodgers. Yes. What? It's a weird cycle. It's a weird buffet platter of revolving. <laughs> right now currently it's mike richards who is the um executive producer of jeopardy right and that's because they have um a cut in the number of guest stars that were happening and some covid restrictions so they're like uh uh you and he was like okay but yeah it's gonna be rogers there's gonna be katie couric um there's a few other people that are that are slated really controversially there's dr oz oh (laughs) yikes mildly uncomfortable things that he says about lots of people and things yeah but um, there's going to be an interesting slate. Uh, Ken, Ken was there and Ken, Ken, you know, did it for a month. And it, those are KJ, very- Ken fit. Jennings. Yeah, good old KJ. Um, and, you know, there's some critical things that people have, have rightfully, you know, dragged him from the internet. But, you know, I will say that he did, a, he, he did an admirable job for what is an inenviable task, right? Like mm. 
do, how do you host a show like this? Like I, and I thought he did a relatively, you know, admirable job of it. Um, and you could tell that he empathized with the contestants, which was nice because he'd been one, so. Sure, a lot of times. But would I want it to be me? Yes. Would I wear so many caftans? Also, yes. Would it make <laughs> of middle America deeply uncomfortable? I don't know. That's not my problem. This caftan's made of glitter, right? And I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for those of you who didn't see also this was jeopardy's fault they had a category my first night that was called ooh firework and you can't name the category ooh fireworks and not expect that i'm a not gonna call it and b not pronounce it like that so i was like ooh fireworks ooh fireworks ooh fireworks for 400 like they were like um i don't there's a there's like internet cut up uh oh, you know, yeah. of now famous <laughs> yeah um, the ooh fireworks dr tally so i was like there's gonna be a song we you know talked they, about they it that. on an episode like mm -hmm. uh i think it was like our first it was either the last one of 2020 or the first one of 2021 and yeah. we talked about how you were on jeopardy um <laughs> our friend with the blue mohawk and i kept emphasizing that your name is dr tally <laughs> i kept saying that because i'm so proud of you yeah um and then i mentioned like how you had said the category title differently every time that it was never the same twice. And I loved that. Yeah, uh, it's it was, I was like, well, if you're gonna put punctuation in a title, I'm gonna say it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't make it there and then make me not be that person. Yeah, so. What, I mean, that's, I mean, I knew going in that you were gonna be an internet sensation mm. because you are you. Like, I knew that. That was never a doubt in my mind. But I didn't know it was going to be because of, ooh, fireworks. And I love <laughs> right. that. I, who knew, right? Well, I'm literally standing there on the stage. And they're like, the category is, ooh, fireworks. And I was like, no. Come on. <laughs> they just handed that shit to you on a platter. I was like, what a gift. What a treat. And I was like, well, let me not fuck this up. <laughs> and you didn't. No. I did and not. I was won. very anxious because I was like, I'm going to embarrass my whole family up on here but I did not and I got it okay. So, yeah. and I won and then, you know what? That's enough. <laughs> hmm. I was we were like, very excited. Yeah, we were so excited Thanks, and we were we like, didn't cheering know. for we, you and we like, right. I think we both teared up. Yeah. I, I teared up when I won because I was like, no. Also because I'd been competing against somebody who had won four games in a row. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was so was good. Like, he's very good and he's very sweet. Ryan's a very lovely dude. So it was like the sort of moment where it was like, I was like, oh, cool, yikes, right? And I had just seen him win an episode, right? So I was like, oh, he's just gonna steamroll over all of us. He's gonna be the next Ken Jennings. And then I was like, oh, I, I won a TV. I won a TV show. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so very surreal, very surreal moment. And I'm, again, if you think about like this pandemic, it's the one time I'll say it properly. Um, I, know. <laughs> I know. I was like, I keep on your toes, baby, right? Pan pizza, um, pan handle, yeah. pan. <laughs> Right. This, yeah, um, <laughs> this Panama City um, is where it's like it's 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 been such a weird sense of like grief and horror and frustration and dismay and never-ending bleakness. And then I'm like, oh, also though, you you looked like a beautiful blue pineapple on TV, and you were able to win some money with a man who complimented your nipples. So I'm like, huh, that <laughs> did happen also in the Pentagon, so, yeah. So, Not just any man, pizza. Alex Trebek. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. <laughs>
I was I was thinking yeah, it's like you know a lot of people think oh well you're working from home or working from home it's like a, a vacation it, it's not I mean you know it's just as as uh, I'm just as busy if not busier than it was before and uh-huh. kind of been thinking about it like I think we need like a vacation so we've been in this for a year if it were to end tomorrow it's not going to of course we need right. a year just off sabbatical or just to, to even calibrate right because it's going to be yeah. Cause then people are going to be calling us up and be like, what's up, let's go to, and I'm like, I don't know if I can uh, four people yeah. right? without like crawling out on my skin. Cause I'm going to be like, who are all of you? You all have the wrong one. Right. Like, and it's, it's going to be really hard to adjust. Yeah. And, and likewise, right. I think that on some levels I found that there were some really great ways in which my job adapted, but there's so much more expected, right. For all of them mm-hmm. as a professor, I wanted to just reach the internet and slap people that are like, well, now you're just, you know, homeschooling and doing what I was like, excuse me. I now also have to pre-record some lectures mm-hmm. for student progress in a way that I didn't have to before buy a ring light and look like Rita Repulsa <laughs> from uh, <laughs> or like with her like little wand of power. And also think about um, like, how do I, how do I make, how do I change the genre of my job? Right. Like, mm-hmm doing my job while also making sure that traumatized students actually want to think about colonialism or Africa or, you know, justice or equity in society. I'm like, oh my God. Like, and so, oof, I just, it's, it's, it's been wild. So, and I, I'm very glad, I'm very grateful that like folk like you are doing sassy podcast times like this, which have also helped me not feel like I'm losing my brain, right? Like I'm like, oh, okay, things are happening. I can, I can process them. Um, and, but it is, it's, it is a wild and difficult time out here. And it feels a little navel gazy to say it, but it's just hard. Mm-hmm. Hard and there's no, it's the endlessness of it, right? Like where you're like, if you told me that this was going to be a problem until like June, I'm like, okay, I can work with that. But you're like, mm-hmm. it's a problem until humans stop being greedy and selfish and we Oof, cool, cool. them as, as so, so forever. Okay, cool. So yeah. we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so basically we're fucked. Right. Also like what a starter, what a starter Panda Express for us to have, right? Like, <laughs> like, we're thinking about like of, of the panic of the discos that we can have, right? Like this one is not, as high fatality as it could be, right? Like this is still relatively low fatalities and we are fucking mm-hmm. it up, right? So like, imagine like we, if, if in the in the array of things, like we could have had like a 4% death rate from this personal pan pizza. And like, you're like, <laughs> oh man, we failed at this. <laughs> they gave us yeah. the softball. And we were like, like they like lobbed the softball at us and it hit us in the mouth and broke three teeth. And I'm yeah. like, those are my favorite teeth. <laughs> well, yeah, because every, you know, and I've talked before about the Hollywood, you know, the, all, all we have to go on is what we learned from Hollywood movies and all of those pandemics, like, you know, outbreak contagion, those had mm-hmm. like hundred percent fatality rate. Right. And, you know, if you got it, you, you're going to die. And well, that's I don't probably know why people are like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's just yeah. the flu with permanent yes. damage yeah. to your fucking body and lungs right. and I did, I'm traumatized by just re- this past weekend. I was just re- read a couple of pieces on on doctors just kind of describing behind the scenes because we don't, you know, nobody accompanies the patients once they're admitted into the hospital and just what they go through when they're progressing through the 
worsening stages. So, you know, at ICU, let's say what it looks like to, to, mm-hmm. you know, be gasping for air and, and anxiety sets in and then having to be sedated and, and the, all that other stuff. And that's just, that's terrifying. Yeah. It's no good. It's no good. And it's just an endless horror. Right. And you're just like, okay. Okay. And on some levels, preventable and in other levels not preventable because people are unwilling to make to make the the sacrifices to keep people safe right right that is in like a finger wagging boomer mom being like people need personal responsibility i mean this like (laughs) we're not willing to increase social network or like safety networks like social security nets that's what i mean um so like people should not have to choose between working and dying yeah we are a wealthy ass country and we should be able to be like, all right, or body, you should be able to afford that we spend the next two to three weeks not working, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and that includes people that work at the grocery store, at the liquor yeah. store, right? Like they are, or the, or the bus driver. But like, we have discerned that these people are just expendables mm-hmm. and it grinds my gears. And it, what, what worries me the most, this, ooh, we've reached the part where I'm like one, 1.35 drinks in where I'm like, Uh-oh. I tell you, <laughs> I love like that it. part. Tell you what the like, problem yeah. is, and the <laughs> but I think one of the problems are right is, um, one of the things that's deeply frustrated me has been the utter lack of imagination or vision for a world after this pandemic. There has been this deep-seated clawing need for us to return to normal as if normal was working, and it's yeah. obvious that normal was not working. Right? It was deep- yeah for so many of us and we were able to sort of like those of us who were barely scraping by and I was luckier than most like still could buy a few things to anesthetize ourselves from Etsy or Amazon and then feel and and feel like we were doing okay but at the same time like it's all fucky it's all fucky from the ground up it's no good so how do we how do we process that and how do we think about what a new future could look like and I think most people don't want to do that also, dorky thing, I want to put on my historian hat for a brief second. It's never really off, but <laughs> human nature thing to do, right? After the 1918 flu epidemic, um, the, the campaign for 1920, the 1920 presidential campaign, the winning Republican slogan that elected third-rate non-entity Warren G. Harding and deep scan ah. longer, um, was uh, a return to normalcy. That was the mm. campaign slogan of, 2020, of 1920. <laughs> and I think there's something really telling that like, it's human nature to be like, but what if we go back? But as you notice, we didn't go back to life as it was in like 1917, right? When things changed drastic, dramatically. Ooh, dramatically. That's, that's like dramatically and drastic. <laughs> baby, that nobody wants to take this. I like that. Right, I feel like it's like drunk history right now. Dramatically. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, we want this normalcy. We, we, we crave it. We hope that it could happen, but also what is it that we're returning to, right? Like this was not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't, I don't, was it, was it on your timeline that I saw? Um, it, it was essentially the point that, that as Americans, especially and humans, that we're good at acute um, empathy. Like if something, yes. uh, yeah. yeah, tornado hits, all right, let's rally together take people some water let's do that but any prolonged sustained uh no like we we can't do that we've forgotten about it you know a week later and it's not it's not a thing 
And it's exactly it. Yeah. People all want to donate blood or money or, you know, canned goods, but they don't want to think about changing an overall system, even if they would benefit from the change of it. Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah. I think that's really fair. That's that hard. is a, that is some deep thoughts with Dr. <laughs> TJ Talley. Right there. <laughs> we went from lint rolling nipples to being like, how do we understand the social? <laughs> and you know what? But that, that, I'm still with the lint rolling nipples and I'm so pissed off that until this moment, I didn't think to reference the Latits now from SNL. Latits now. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But here we are and I've done it. But I'm see, you brought it back and yeah, I'm not, no one is mad. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Because I really wish that we could be like happy houring in person. This is like the closest like reproduction of that. And I'm very grateful. Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm drinking with people that are not the people in my head in my apartment. This is, (laughs) or the many plants, all of whom have names. Yeah. Oh, you name your plants? Oh yeah. I'm an only child and I live alone. So it was an (laughs) way to name all of these plants. Yeah. I, we stopped naming the fish because, uh, you know, like last March, the Together. guppies had babies and at one point we had 60 and I was like, I don't have time for this. No, that's fine. You're just all like, you're going to be like George Foreman. They're all George. At that, point. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely, we'll name all the yellow ones French fry after the mom and all the perfect. orange ones fizzy after the dad. That sounds perfect. That's I mean, they're all burner colors. It's fine. They're all basically, it's it. They're all just one person. That's they're like, pretty much all yellow. It's like a so tank of French fry. Like a tank of Mitch Romney, uh, Mitt Romney boys. <laughs> I remember that and whole thing. And yet, oh yeah, and weirdly had like four sons that all looked exactly the same. They all look exactly the same. And I was like, were they made in a laboratory? (laughs) Right, Romney clones. (laughs) That's true. He's had a surprising uh, like social makeover in the last. uh, Well, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating because it's like, if we want to talk about this, it's like Mitt Romney's career and sort of ambit is is, is interesting because he wants to be type of moderate Republican, which increasingly these don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. That space for them don't exist. And this would be the, the, the briefest talk about my, my work is that my next project, so I think about questions of settlement and colonialism, about questions of race and identity and belonging. And my, my next book project is called Conjugal States. And so it's explicitly mm. questions in the 19th century of, excuse me, of, um, uh, polygamy and monogamy and how they relate to states and sort of the creation of settlement. And so I am I am a historian explicitly of 19th century South Africa. So I think about questions of polygamy in Zulu culture and how white settlers make these claims about like this is aberrant or wrong. And, um, and so the next project compares South Africa, British Columbia, New Zealand, and Utah. And oh. so things I think about is in the 19th century, the ways in which settlement like the the emergent settler states of Canada, Australia, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, United States, determine about a type of normal white, ostensibly heterosexual reproduction. Mm -hmm. White polygamy is seen as backward. It is seen as an embracing of the savagery of indigenous peoples. And so one of the bargains that happens, right, is that the LDS church formally has a revelation in 1890 that, rescinds polygamy as a value that paves the way for Utah becoming a state in 1896. And I would argue that there is an extreme type of othering that happens for Mormon peoples, Mm -hmm. right? For LDS peoples as 
an extreme sexualized other. They are, and the way that I describe this is, in other work, I describe this as being queered as a verb, right? So by this, I don't mean they're not heterosexual, but in which they are marked as aberrant or wrong as a way of measuring what is normal for us. And I think that sometimes discourse that we still talk about Mormon polygamy does that. We're like, we don't do that. Like, and it, it tells us about our normalcy or our normativity. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the ways I talk about this in class is I make a comparison, which is a little bit wild, but I make a comparison to furries, right? So the idea that a furry, and also sometimes it means that as a professor, I have to explain what furries are. That's <laughs> always fun. Uh, but for those of you who are uninitiated, right? right? A furry is someone who likes to dress in sort of animal, anthropomorphic animal costumes. They find these sexually attractive or arousing. They like to be around other people in these sort of like animal Mm -hmm. looking costumes. They like to have sort of sexual play with them. Many of these people are ostensibly heterosexual. They are in boy fox costumes looking for someone dressed as a lady panther, right? And they will like to get it on with them. But a lot of the discourse about this or whenever one talks about furries is that there's always like a (laughs) or like a snicker about it is because it's seen as beyond the realm of what is normal or appropriate. And that putting it out there reinforces our non-furriness as orthodox or normal, or tells us that our reinforces for us that our sexuality is correct. Um, and so what I argue about this is even if furry types of sexual activity are heterosexual, they can be queered in terms of the dominant power structure looks at them as an aberration that they then use as a negative marker. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So comparably in the 19th century, see, look, it all comes back together. Comparably in the 19th century, (laughs) this idea in which polygamy becomes this beyond the bounds. Right. And so one way that the LDS, that people in the LDS church, not all, obviously, but that some people in the LDS church compensate for this about being queered. Right. Is by being hyper normative. You think that we don't belong. You think that we're outside of like what is the American white normative body politic. We are so normative. We are nuclear family, jello eating, everyday, average, hyper average, boring, specifically American. And I would argue mm-hmm. that a very historically mediated specific choice about arguing about belonging. And so like thinking about, when I think about Romney is that Romney's performance as an active LDS church member and an aspiring politician is that he also has to attack a very specific hyper normative conservative viewpoint, but not like a partisan conservative viewpoint, like, like Trumpism, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a level of like performing a type of normalcy. And so there is this moment where he, he's in this, this unique bind where he is trying to justify and do this work of rehabilitating and saying we're real Americans. Cause there are plenty of Americans that don't think of Mormons as real Americans, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of, and so this is not me being like, oh my God, these poor white people, they must have such a real struggle, right? But at the same time, recognizing that there's a real performance that they're trying to do. Yeah. And so there is a conservative moment that Romney's doing, but also one where he's like, I don't wanna be on board with this sort of like cultish McGee movement, right? Mm-hmm. And it, let me be very clear that to drink in Professor TJ Talley is not advocating any sort of apologetics for Mitt Romney, right? right? Also trying to recognize a historic moment about gender, sexuality, and colonialism that informs some of his choices and why he may be open to what may be a more con- a, a more moderate republicanism. Like he's never gonna be a Democrat, right? No. He's gonna be on the left. There's about, there's something about conservatism that is that he's trying to rehabilitate about claiming a space for people like him. But, but he's also like, guys, we could have health care, right? Yeah. It's to think that like Obamacare is based on Romney care from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so like, it's a, it's a weird 1970s, 1980s type of moderate Republicanism that almost doesn't exist nationally anymore, but he's like this sort of weird, like fringe bit. This was also deeper than I thought I was gonna get today. Look at <laughs> No, this is fascinating. <laughs> Just um, just so nobody's confused, LDS is Latter Day Saints, which is Mormonism, right? right. right? Yeah, yeah. Just to it's clarify. the more formal name. It's because the, the formal name is the Church of Latter Day Saints, and so I right. LDS rather than Mormons, which is slightly derogatory. But yeah. Well, that's a that's a very interesting point that you bring up, and and I'm sure a lot of listeners, including myself included, find that fascinating. But I mean that that uh, makes me think about just how many other. Um, publicly um you know i'm thinking of like uh like televangelists and how many of those publicly good people uh, are often found out to do uh to be involved in some very deviant um mm-hmm. things and activities and and there's there's a lot of psychology there i'm sure yeah. oh, absolutely and a lot of repression there too All right. So um, since this sort of came up about queering and everything, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the actual fucking book that you wrote. Yes. Uh, queering Colonia Natal by Dr. TJ Talley. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. And Available like a- on Amazon, by the way. And it's, yeah, it's like, a, it's, it's like, not it's expensive. not like. Well, yeah, it's like, it's $25. It's from the University of Minnesota Press for those, you two, look, it's right here, it's my book. Um, oh. I'm holding it up in my hands. Um, but yeah, in the fall of 2019, I was planning on going on like a book talk tour and talking about it in 2020, but then the pan pizza happened. So, um, and pandemonium broke out. So there we are. But um, yeah, thanks for asking about that. I am a historian of 19th century South Africa. That was my initial training of British Empire in South Africa. And so I wrote a book about 19th century colonial South Africa and how people made claims to belong and specifically what were the ways in which Zulu people and their everyday types of um, sexual and social formations got rendered as queer. And again, actually weirdly, organically, we talked about this while weirdly talking about Mitt Romney, so that's on me, but um, (laughs) the way in which which we want to talk about the ways in which bodies can be in, in a relationship to sort of hegemonic or normative power, right? So structures of power that are above us that that tell us what normal is, right? And so mm-hmm. how these types of bodies then get rendered as abnormal, aberrant, wrong, backward, so many air quotes that I'm doing with my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, these ideas in which th- this type of process in which in the context I'm talking about in colonial South Africa, we have a British colonial government that comes in as a minority government and attempts to render Africans as wrong, backward, aberrant, and, and as, a, as a marker for socially inappropriate behavior around things like polygamy, right? Around things like what is called ilobolo, which is the ceremonial offering of cattle from the groom's family to the bride's family. They're like, you're buying your wife for cows. They're like, that's not it. They're like, cows. So like, but this sense of, um, the ways in which this tells us about how this sort of sexuality functions, right? Um, so I always want to be really clear that I think queer does multiple types of work, right? Many of us are familiar with queer as an adjective or 
um, as a as a categorical noun, right? As a personal identity, right? And for the record, you know, this should shock no one based on any of our conversation. I identify, for example, as a queer person, right? Uh, je suis le queer, right? I'm a queer. But um, when I talk about queerness in my book, I talk about queerness as a relation of power. And by this mean, right? Talking again, once again about them furries, right? <laughs> furries being queered, right? They are being taught as a thing that we don't do, right? Um, the effect of it is the homo of no homo, right? When a guy's like, bro, I really like your shirt, no homo, right? The, the function of homo in that sentence is literally saying like, we're not like those types of homosexuals. I'm able to express this now that I've gotten that out of the way. By making this mythical gay over here, over there, right? That allows us to have this sort of like emotional connection, right? Like Andy, that shirt does look great, no homo, right? Like, so like that, that level of actually though, like super homo, but um, mm. this level of like being able to say this is a way in which queerness functions. So when I think about queer in the context of this book, when I say the name of the book is Queering Colonial Natal, I look at the 19th century British colony of Natal in what is now contemporary South Africa, um, as a space where we can talk about relationships of queerness. And what I am excited about is I draw from this really amazing, badass, kick-ass black woman theorist from the University of Chicago, a woman named Dr. Kathy Cohen, who's a political scientist. And she wrote this amazing article that made my head explode back in 1997. I did not read it in 1997. I was 13 then. I have read it since then. Um, but this article is called Punks, Bulldaggers, and Welfare Queens. And it's specifically thinking about what are the radical possibilities of queer political alliance, right? So she's thinking about as a political scientist, as a queer black woman, what might queer politics, what might a queer potential alliance look like? And so for her, she starts thinking, she's like, we need to think about the 1980s Ronald Reagan figure of the welfare queen. She's like the figure of the welfare queen, which immediately in people's minds is a black woman with lots of children from different men that are then being utilized for her to sort of somehow illegally or unethically um, gain money from the government so that she can be eating steak dinners and driving Cadillacs and wearing fur coats. Mm -hmm. It is explicitly an image of a wrong or aberrant type of sexuality. Right? It's raced, it's gendered, it's saying her sexual work is wrong. And it's also a corrective, right? It's saying something to us. It's like, nice people, white people don't do this, right? Like, so the figure of like the welfare queen, if you watch Glow on Netflix, right? There's yeah. where when she plays, when the one woman plays mm -hmm. the welfare queen, I love it so much because it is a character, right? She's playing this evil wrestling character that's like wearing fur coats and eating steak. But like this specter, this fear is actually like a sexual boogeyman, right? It's telling us that like, good girls don't do this. We don't do this. And so what Kathy Cohen argues in this article is, it's a queer figure. She's saying, I wanna be very clear that these figures are actually very heterosexual. But by queer, I mean a relationship of power in which a governing state, which prizes white supremacy, which prizes mm -hmm. heterosexuality, which prizes patriarchy, is about also prizing um, a type of virtue and saying, this woman isn't it. And so for Kathy Cohen in this article, which is so mind blowing and it's my favorite, I'll talk about or a day of the week is she's like, how do we talk about this woman who has been taught that in her marginalization of her sexuality, right? Often doubling down on being heterosexual is all she got, 
right? So like some types of homophobia might be a way in which she sort of, sort of tries to reclaim normalcy. But what might be the politics in which, you know, gay white dudes named Chad that are skinny twinks with money from Hillcrest might actually recognize that they might have things in common with Lakeisha, right? What are the ways, what are the social types of pressure in which these hierarchical societies are being used in different ways against these people? And what might be the coalitional awesomeness of thinking about a queer politics, thinks about the ways in which certain bodies and sexualities and organizations are seen as aberrant or wrong. And how do we blow that shit up? And when I first read that, I was like, Bleh! right? You can write that down as a very normal academic word. <laughs> um, I think there's like eight A's in there. But, um, but more importantly, right, for me, I was like, well, how do I think about this in terms of colonialism? If settler colonialism is coming in and taking over people's shit and saying, we live here now, then how might that moment also involve stigmatizing, pathologizing, and marking as backward types of indigenous sexual formations that are really hyper-normative, right? Polygamy is not like radically freeing. <laughs> it is a very patriarchal social, mm -hmm. but it's being used in this case as being seen as actually too straight and wrong and backward, right? As the measure of what we don't do. And so I can argue that these types of sexual formations are being queered. And then African people might double down on their own normalcy, right? Which also helps us get to some of the hearts of sort of thinking about contemporary homophobia in African societies. It's actually not unlike when I talked earlier about Mitt Romney and the Mormons, right? A way of like, we've recognized that these predominant people have marginalized us. How do we claim that we belong? By doubling down on our normalcy, right? And if we're getting slightly drunk and point out that this is a full circle, then going back to our earlier conversation that sometimes normalcy is a motherfucking trap, right? This idea that when we think about normalcy, it's what we want and we yearn for. We wanna feel normal and safe, but also normalcy means wanting enough hierarchical uh, power to feel like you are in control. And maybe that's marshalling some shit that's fucked, right? So like thinking about in my book, what I argue about is how do we use queer theory and indigenous studies to understand South Africa? And how do we understand Zulu people, their relationship to British people and the colonial structures? But the heart of that argument is we need to understand how queering works. And right, so we already did it informally over drinks while talking about furries, which is one of the best parts about my job. <laughs> like this fun stuff. So um, if you want, it's, it's, you can get on Amazon, you can get it on bookshop.org, you can go to University of Minnesota Press, it's $25. Um, but it's also, it's a, I'm super proud of it. Like it's a, it's a really fun book that is a very serious history book, but also is about how do we think about the ways in which queering can be a relation of power and how might we also think about our own relationships to histories of sexuality and what do we do about that? So it's kind of fun. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's been in my cart for so long. I just haven't bought it yet. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, again, ain't no pressure, ain't no thing. It's, I still am so freaked out that I, A, wrote a book, right? If, if, when you read the acknowledgments, the very last sentence is, I can't believe I wrote a book, y'all, right? And it's also <laughs> like the sense that you get to write something over time that has a coherent series of ideas that touches other people and they want to respond to it. That's what always freaks me out is that people are like, oh my God, this made me want to think about this this way. And I'm like, oh, shit. So, mm -hmm. um, I have a, it's, it's the product of, you know, years of graduate school and research and 
being a sassy, you know, biracial, bisexual, you know, black person living in San Diego, thinking about through these things that allow me to process this work. And it's also like, I have at the end of the day, one of the best fucking jobs ever. I get to think deep abstract shit and try and make it available to everybody over like drinks. And like, mm. that's, it's pretty cool. It's way better than being an assassin, which is not my real job. No matter what anybody tells you, this. <laughs> you can be quite the assassin on the internet. I've it's seen. true. It's true. Well, you know what? Maybe they should have looked at their lives and looked at their choices, right? You're, yeah, you're goddamn right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a fun chat. TJ. Um. Anyway, no, we thanked him. You know, we thanked him when we were talking to him. Mm-hmm. But thanks again, TJ. This is our public thank you for for appearing. We uh, hopefully look forward to um to doing it again. Chatting with TJ again very soon. Yeah. Uh. So I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't have a whole lot else to say to wrap up this week but uh what is there anything uh, interesting we want to talk about um i i just want okay for one like i want to say like i did decide the name for the drink oh and of course it's called the firework oh yeah yeah of course because the rosemary looks like a little firework in the drink um i don't know why that was escaping me this whole time but there it is It, it laid itself out Ooh, fireworks perfect yeah so, uh, well, I don't, uh, I don't know, Andy, what, uh, what would you like to say? I don't, I don't have a whole lot to say. I just, uh, I, uh, I think the la- the most recent thing we watched, well, we watched two things. Mm-hmm. I kind of fell asleep through one of them, but, yeah, uh, you should finish it. I should. Um, I couldn't, I honestly, I would have waited for you, but I, I was glued to that movie. Yeah. I couldn't stop watching it when you I'll, fell asleep. Uh, we can talk about that later because yeah. I don't, I don't want to be very You watch it when I'm at work. Uh, but we did see I Care A Lot. Yeah, is, I Care A Lot on Netflix. Yes, that was that was very well done, I thought. I thought it was great. I just... Oh, man, you know... It was a tough watch, though. I mean, It some was parts... a tough watch, just because it, it was really hard. There are plenty of movies out there where you realize, okay, they're, they're no quote-unquote good people. <laughs> I was going to have one. Yeah, that was your quote unquote for the week. I think you said it when we were talking to TJ too. (laughs) too. (laughs) Um, Um, No, but like everyone in that movie was like not a good person. Right. You just didn't know who to root for. Yeah. And I mean. you should root for. And there was a lot There's still no real answer for that. Well, what what I found interesting, and this says a lot about about me, and just I point to the fact that I still have a lot of work to do just like i think most people in terms of certainly i do as well but there was a lot of a lot of um focus on i want to say like you know sexism and misogyny and um you know women trying to find equal footing in professional settings in the business world and I feel like yeah that. you're you're right there was a lot of that in and there. that was exacerbated during one of the main conflicts but because they engaged in some um negative activity I'll say like I don't want right. to give away too much 
Yeah, that's one where you, you have to watch it. I was, you know, for a time I was wanting them to be held accountable for that. Yeah. But I realized, well, that's the same thing that the their. That's the message their, of the film, yeah. right? Like, and you really it. I don't know, but like I said, personally, it really kind of brings that out because, you know, again, like we're thinking we're we're doing better, we're doing a good job with that, but then you realize there's still so many things ingrained, and uh, mm-hmm. and it really, it but it's complex too. Yeah. So you can't separate you know the good from the bad in that sense one thing i will say about that movie is that it was engaging from the beginning to the very end Mm -hmm. it it held your attention and there was pretty much always something going on it was not boring and by any means i it was like you know like i said it was a tough watch but i really only said that because the content makes you uncomfortable at some points what's not tough about it is that it's interesting literally from beginning to end it is yeah it's fascinating yeah yeah i Um, mean i i just felt like that was it was great and it was well done so we'll see i think that's already got earned some golden globe oh that's that's cool to hear Uh, i'm not sure i should have researched what exactly but i know that that it's it's (laughs) it's up for something so we'll see if uh if the academy awards feel the same way yeah which Um, are in april this year other than that, I don't have anything else. No, um, and we spent we spent a good amount of time talking with TJ. So I, d- I just had a random note about it says, "Where's our our we are the world?" And I guess at some point during I don't know who knows how many drinks I was in, but um, I think maybe it was when we were talking about to TJ about the the acute empathy versus prolonged empathy, and uh, I thought of like benefits. And I thought of We Are the World, which was something that I've said before. It's like that could never happen again. You could never get that collection of star power. Oh, yeah. Which at the time they were benefiting the USA for Africa, the, the relief for, um, for you know, to end hunger in Africa. Um, and I was just thinking, especially now, I mean, there, take your pick of disasters or causes to assemble like the greatest stars but i mean even if you're just doing the last year we have plenty of causes right and yet and yet nothing no no we are the world no band-aid the closest we got to that was on comic um, relief on 30 rock they had a whole thing (laughs) about it for an episode and it was great Honestly, like Elvis Costello was there and he was like acting like a diva. And yeah, so theirs, theirs was really good. Anyway, but that's it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Where's our We Are All the World? Yes. Give we'll, it to we'll us. We'll sponsor it. Yeah. We'll feature. We'll uh, feature we don't have Lady song. Gaga money. Look. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Uh. She could give us $500,000. She's offering a $500,000 reward. Oh, for, for her Frenchies. Yeah. Her French bulldogs that got stolen from the dog walker. And the dog walker got shot, but is expected to make a full recovery. Jesus. That's, that's bonkers, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's not, it's not funny. I mean, no. It's, it, it, 
I mean, if if the person had been hurt more, it would be sure, a more serious a discussion. More but solemn. thankfully, thankfully, they are expected to. I don't know. Pull through. I mean, 100%. She seems like someone who has powerful friends. And so I don't know if Lady that's Gaga? someone you want to yeah. be stealing. She's friends from. with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden now. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be stealing shit from her. Especially her French bulldogs. Yeah. So there's a half a million dollars uh, reward for their return. Safe return, I'm sure. Well, Godspeed. Yep. To. Um, it's like I forget the their return, names. They, return yeah. of the of the of Lady Gaga's Frenchies, um, best friends. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think we can uh, end this with the three Bs yes. this week. As always, thank you for joining us. Uh, make sure you um, subscribe and download. Yep. Be safe. Be smart. And be sanitary. Thank you for listening to Homebound Happy Hour. Stream or download episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, give our Facebook page a like at Homebound Happy Hour and follow on Instagram at Homebound Happy Hour Podcast.